Good morning, friends. It's not an illusion. I look five pounds heavier. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I did. Uh, We're going to continue in our series in the book of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation 18, continuing this section that we looked at last week, beginning in 17, which is the fall of Babylon. And we trace the roots of Babylon all the way back to the beginning in a place called Babel. And Babel was the first place in which humanity gathered in a city and formed a constitution against God. This is Genesis 11. After the flood, the people gathered in one place, sharing one language, using technology to leverage this constitution against God. They would build a tower that would reach the heavens. They would would become like gods. Babel is the gate of God. And they would create for themselves a name, they said. They would no longer receive God's name of them. They would no longer be marked by the children of God, but they would actually create and make a name for themselves. And in their pride and arrogance, desiring to bring glory upon themselves, then they would forsake God's mandate. God's mandate was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, like scatter, fill the whole earth, but no, they would gather instead as an assault against God. And we saw that this constitution that began in a place called Babel became Babylon, the literal geographical place that's in modern-day Iraq. And Babylon became one of those places that would assault the people of God and at one point would actually come in and destroy Judea and carry off slaves to Babylon. Daniel and his friends were amongst those slaves that would then be employed by the government of Babylon with this constitution to bring glory to itself. And we saw that this constitution surfaced in many kings and many kingdoms at many times. And at at the time of the book of Revelation, this was Rome itself. Rome had embodied this constitution to make a name for itself, to assault God, to gather the people in strength and wealth and might, and it assaulted the people of God. And Revelation is written to those churches, to those in the midst of the Roman Empire experiencing this persecution, this suffering, saying that God has heard their prayers. He's doing something about this, and he is going to bring an end to not only Rome, but all the places that embody this kind of constitution. And we said this is true of Babylon, that Babylon is any kingdom, nation, or empire, that it can include religious groups as well, that is oriented towards idolatry, pride, and self-fulfillment at the expense of others. Last week's provocative language, we've seen so much provocative language in the book of Revelation. She was called a harlot who was drunk on the blood of the saints. Like she's intoxicated with herself, consuming people. And so what we're going to see today is that part of Babylon has an economy, a commerce, that's desire is to make people consumers so that they would be consumed. And we're going to see the end of that today. The economy of Babylon is going to be over. And what we're going to see are seven songs, we're going to see two responses, and we're going to see one call. 
So seven songs frame this, this section of the text. There's two responses to what's happening, and there's one call of God on his people. Let's check it out. Romans, sorry, Romans, Revelation. Romans is a good book, though. But Revelation chapter 18. John says, After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice. This is the first song. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, this system. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. That describes who she is. Like if you want to do evil, if you want to do wrong, you would love to find your place in Babylon. For all nations have drunk the wine of her passion, of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth, we call them world leaders, and the kings of the earth, these world leaders, have committed immorality with her, and the merchants, this is the commerce of the earth, the economy, have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. So people are using Babylon to produce wealth, power, and luxury at the exploitation of others. That's song one. Song two, then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. It's amazing that Babel, they tried to create a tower that would reach the heavens. Well, they reached the heavens, but not with this tower, but with their own sins. You see that here? Babylon has reached heaven with her iniquities. Verse 6, pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself, that's her self-exaltation, her pride. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Again, that's the pride and arrogance of Babylon. I'm impenetrable. No one can defeat me. I'm the strongest. Verse 8, for this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Song three. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear and her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Song four, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloths, silk, scarlet cloths, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat. It's cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves 
that is human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and your, and your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares, of these goods, who gained wealth from her, will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour, all her wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters, this is in five, shipmasters and seafarers, men, sailors, and all whose trade is of the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like Babylon? And they threw up dust on their heads and they wept and mourned, crying out, alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heavens, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it in the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. Six. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpets will be heard in you no more. And the craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. Verse 24, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on earth. Then song seven finds its way in chapter 19, verse one. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, praise God. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And it goes on, that they would see the smoke of Babylon rising, her destruction forever. Now that's an intense chapter that's concluding what Babylon is all about. Luxury, wealth, power at the exploitation of people. And here we have seven songs. We have, we have two from the heavens. We have three that are just crying out in laments, and then two afterwards that echo the songs of rejoicing. And in those seven songs, really, there are two responses. And the first response comes from kings, merchants, and tradesmen. You saw them highlighted if you were watching on the screen. In several places, it shows that the world, in seeing the economy of Babylon brought to an end, they cry and lament. This is the great city, several places. If you're taking notes in your journal this morning, just look at verse 2. Babylon the great. Verse 9, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon Verse 16, for the great city, that's clothed in linen, 
Babylon. End of 17, what city was like the great city? Verse 19, the great city. Verse 21, Babylon, the great city. Whenever the great city is used in Revelation, it's a reference to Babylon that has this constitution against God, that has this economy that's building wealth, power, and luxury on the backs of people. And when it comes to an end, those who have found their wealth, security, power, and identity with Babylon, they lament, and they mourn, and they cry for her. They're they're completely lost without her. Those who tie their hearts to the economy of Babylon, when it's brought to an end, they weep and they mourn. Look here. In verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her. They're sad. The kings, all the world leaders whose economies and countries are built with her are weeping and mourning that it's over. Look at verse 11. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn. Verse 15. The merchants of the wares, those who made these goods, who gained wealth from her, they stand far off and they lament. They cover themselves in ashes as though someone has died. The one that they loved has died. And then you see the tradesmen. In verse 17, the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade on the sea, those who carried her, her goods and services into the world, cry and lament that this thing is over. The other response is of those who belong to another kingdom, who have tethered their hearts to the kingdom of God, who find their identity, their strength, their wealth, their securities with the God of heaven. And when they see Babylon come to an end, look what it says, they rejoice. Verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Like God's judgment, his right and fitting response to this economy is on behalf of the prayers of people. God has acted in response to those in whom Babylon has exploited, those whom Babylon has persecuted, those who Babylon was drunk on their blood. For for chapter 18 gives us a picture of the economy of Babylon that looks so good that its goods and services, precious metals, commodities, they all look so wonderful. But in the belly of its ship are human souls, slaves. Now, this is first written to an audience that were living in the Roman Empire, and this was very much true of Rome itself. Rome shipped all of these commodities around the world, including people. Look at this list in which describes this economy of all these sorts of precious metals, cargo of gold, silver, of beautiful jewels and pearls, fine linens, purple cloths, silk clothes, the latest fashions. And it goes on with all these different commodities, and then it gets to animals. And it talks about different animals of cattle and sheep, horses, 
And then accounted for amongst the animals, it points out in the belly of this economy are slaves, which are human beings, the souls of men and women, the backs on which this economy is built. And so that was true of Rome, and we've seen it true many more times. It's part of the underbelly even of American history to trade goods and services, to trade things like cotton and tobacco in the midst of ships whose bellies had human souls. And people are happy to purchase these goods and services and participate in its wealth and its luxury and its power at the exploitation of people. And that has been played over and over in almost every nation throughout the world at almost every time. You think of like the 19th century going into the 20th century, the factories of rubber, when rubber became like the product in order to arm military vehicles or, or pedestrian bicycles or the car market that was beginning. And that rubber was built on the backs of human souls in places like Cambodia, the Philippines, Burma. And then light kind of shines where darkness is and says, look at the underbelly of this economy. We start asking questions where all the rubber comes from. And that's been played over and over and over again. Remember in the 80s and 90s, the whole movies of the blood diamonds, of diamonds that were dug for by children and people who are in vulnerable situations in parts of Africa that were at war, Sierra Leone, West Africa, in the Congo. And then these diamonds were put onto the world markets in which millions of dollars would go to to finance war, the slaughtering of people. It's like, we should ask questions. Where does our goods come from? And you can't help but just look online today or hear a report of all the different big companies today that are producing all kinds of goods and services, particularly with lithium-ion batteries, and ask, where does the cobalt come from? And no big company can trace their supply chain. We should ask questions. But really, Revelation just 18 tells us it's the economy of Babylon that will produce for kings, for merchants, for tradesmen, for buyers, goods and services at the exploitation of people, at the cost of lives, of human souls. And there's two responses to that. There are those who find their identity, trust, value, security, and power in that economy, and when it's over, weep and mourn as though it's a funeral of their loved ones. Or there is the response of those who belong to heavens and say, rejoice, for the economy that destroyed human souls is over. It's over. For in her belly, you see that in verse 24, this is the picture I have. Now, I could be grotesque, so yeah, you're probably not the first person to call me that. But I think of verse 24 like the movie Jaws. Remember Jaws was this big, huge shark that was eating people? 
and they would catch these sharks thinking that they found the killer shark, this Jaws, and they would string it up and then they would open up the shark to see what it ate. That's like what's happening in 18, is they've strung up Babylon and they've gutted her. And look what comes out. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Do you see that? Like, what did she consume in this? Oh, the lives of people. To go to one nation and say, you got to go destroy another nation. To go to one people group and destroy another people group. To leverage our own appetites of desires against us and say, you need to buy, consume, and participate in these markets that are costing people their lives. Now, I, I think this message is rather timely. Uh, we just had Black Friday, Small Business Saturday. We're getting ready for Cyber Monday. It's like, how do they make it so cheap? Look at all the stuff I can get for so cheap. And maybe we should ask this question. How do they make it so cheap? Like, where's the real cost in this? Am I participating in the economy of Babylon that's costing humans their lives? That's what's found in her belly. Super uncomfortable at church today, isn't it? And so there's two responses, and you have to ask yourself, which, which heart, which economy have you really tied your heart to? Would you rejoice with the heavens and say, yes, the economy of exploitation is over? Or would you weep with the kings and the merchants and the tradesmen saying, I'm so sad. All our stuff is gone. All the luxuries are gone. All the comforts I've grown accustomed to, they're over. Yeah, but they were destroying people. It doesn't matter. My stuff is gone. My wealth in it is gone. For there's one call, seven songs, two responses, one call. Do you see the call, verse 4? This is God's call to his people. Verse 4, then I heard a, another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. I see, remember, this is written to seven churches living in the Roman Empire at this time, and many of them have compromised their witness, have compromised their faith, because they have participated in this economy. And here's the call again to these churches, to his people, come out of her. Do not participate in this economy that destroys the lives of people. And this is the hardest question. This is the New Testament question. How do we live in the world but not of her? How do you live in Babylon? I mean, they really lived in Babylon, which means you got to buy groceries. You still have to buy clothes. It's still smart to make investments, to save money. So how do you participate in this world without being of this world? If only there was an example of a bunch of believers that lived in a place called Babylon, 
in which they showed us how to live in her but not be of her. Oh, there was. We did six weeks. Remember this? In the story of Daniel. If you don't remember that series, I would encourage you to jump back and grab it. If for those of you who were around this last spring, we were in the book of Daniel, which was literally people who lived in Babylon, who they themselves were exploited as slaves to build the economy of Babylon. And yet we learn there's a way to live there and not be part of it. And so what did Daniel and his friends do? There's three things that I think they did that give us the model of how you come out of Babylon, how you live in Babylon, but don't be part of Babylon. The first, remember the first thing that Daniel had, a challenge, was to eat from the king's table. And Daniel refused to eat the luxuries, the meats and the wines from the king's table. And he was asked to be tested for 10 days, eating only a normal Jewish diet. And then for those to evaluate who was healthier, and Daniel and his friends were seen as healthier. So the first thing that Daniel refused to participate in was the consumption of the goods, the luxuries at the king's table. Let me ask you this question. Is there anything in your world that you refuse in luxuries, in comforts that come from the economy that you say, I just don't want to ingest those things? Are there certain streaming services? Are there certain commodities? Are there certain businesses that you say, I just don't want to participate in? I don't want to ingest them into my life for it will defile me. Surely there's something. Is there not? That's the first move. Is, not, or is being willing to not ingest everything from the king's table. The second move, you remember, comes from his friends in which Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, set up an idol, an image. And then everyone was told to bow down and worship it, that you would pay allegiance to this economy. And they said, oh, well, here's the, here's the thing, king. We, we can't do that. For we're marked, our allegiance is to God. And we will not bow down and worship anything except for the living God. And Nebuchadnezzar said, well, we'll kill you. If you don't participate in the worship of this constitution, well, I'll put you to death. And they said, well, here's the deal. We can't do it still. Even if we are put to death, we will not pledge allegiance to the image that you have set up. Are there parts of your life in which has put you out of the economy of our world? because you refuse to pay allegiance to it. The third move of Daniel and his friends was that they would never give up on their faithful trust in God. They would not give up on their practice of faith. When they made it illegal for Daniel to pray, Daniel continued to pray. This is like a, a moment in Acts where where the, where the religious authorities tell Peter and the disciples, you need to stop preaching the gospel. And they say, well, here's the deal. We gotta, we gotta obey God. We have to obey God rather than man. And so we will continue to practice our faithful trust in God. And so Daniel continued to practice this every single day. And even when it got him in deep trouble. I think Daniel is a good marker for us of how someone lives in Babylon, but is not of Babylon. 
Now, I don't have all the answers for you and your family of how you live in Babylon, but you're not of Babylon. All I have to give you today is God's call on your life, which is to come out of her. That's God's call on your life from Revelation 18 for all the children that belong to God. Come out of Babylon. This is what John had said in a letter that he wrote to these churches. John chapter 1, verse, John chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 15, he simply says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, what, the love of the world, that's interesting because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So it's not love for the world in the sense for the people, it's to love the ways of the world. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, that's Babylon, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And I love this, verse 17. And the world is passing away. Like Babylon's going away. It's passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides for how long? Forever. So God is replacing this world systems and economy for his economy of a new heavenly Jerusalem, which we're going to see. An economy that's not built on the exploitations of people, that has the joy, the fullness of joy, and pleasures forevermore, the psalmist says. It's a new city, a new way of living, in which God is truly the centerpiece, and there is no more sin there, devouring one another, but simply life, the fullness of life, and life forever. More. What we've been seeing for the last couple weeks is this. God in his judgments of people, of nations, of this economy, is he's decreating it. You see this? Like God was the master creator who from nothing brought everything that we see in its beauty, in its form, and he has seen it corrupted. And so his judgments on the world are to decreate it deconstruct it, so to speak, to bring it down to nothing, which allows him then to recreate all things. He's decreating everything that has been polluted, that has been warped and bent. People have been abused by this. He's going to just tear that all down. And the heavens say, yes! And the people of God say, yes! And then he has room then for him to recreate all things new. To bring about the beauty and the life, the industry, the arts, as he so intended it for us to live in. And so what we've seen over the last several chapters is God's work to bring about everything that is evil, warped, and bent, even when it hits really close to home in our pocketbooks. So that then... He has a blank canvas to recreate all things new. And so my question for you is this. How will you live as the ones who have come out of Babylon this Christmas? What ways will you lead your family 
your grandchildren, your community, to not participate in the same Christmas as your neighbors who want nothing to do with Jesus? Like, does your Christmas look anything different than your neighbors who want nothing to do with Jesus? And the distinguishing mark is, well, I live as someone who's called out of Babylon. This is part of the heart of Advent. You heard John speak about it in, in the video earlier. Something that Calvary has historically participated in is this season in which we have said we spend less, we give more, which allows us to be free to worship fully. Now, when we began that, we were trying to spend less, give more, worship fully as we pr provided clean water sources for people around the world. Over the years, Calvary has given nearly $2.5 million during this season that has gone to many different initiatives globally, locally, even within Calvary to do gospel-centered ministry, life-saving ministry. Several years ago, we gave resources to Love Justice to provide a, a station that would intercept potential children from being trafficked in Ghana. Since that station has been implemented in 2019, more than 450 children have been rescued from being potentially trafficked. Six known traffickers have been arrested, and 25 people have given their life to Christ. That's because of the financial investment of people here at Calvary and others. And so part of not being part of Babylon, being part of the economy of God is, I don't want to purchase things that employ slaves. I want to build things that are rescuing people from being enslaved. That's what we're doing as called out ones. And so again, this year we have an opportunity to do that. And there's no guilt and shame on it. It's simply a spiritual practice in which we recognize the world we're in and we say, we will not buy, spend, or sell the same way as the world does, for we have been called out. And yes, we live in the world, but we are not of it. And so part of my giving will impact my getting, and I will make much of Christ in my home this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for hard texts like today that are disrupting. They did, Lord, I just admit, they disrupt my own life. But Lord, I want to be faithful to you. I want my heart to be where my treasure is, and I want to treasure you the most. And so, Father, I just pray for us as a community of believers that we would treasure Christ more than anything in this world this season. Father, I pray that you would teach each one of us what it looks like to come out of Babylon and belong to you. And Father, we do pray on behalf of all our Christian brothers and sisters around the world that are persecuted on behalf of those in most vulnerable situations that are taken advantage of to produce goods and services, that you would come, Lord Jesus, come and put an end to this so that all of us would be set free. 
so that you would be able to recreate and make all things new. And so, Lord, our eyes are fixed on you and our hearts are towards you and our mouths pray, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.